you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to Acts, the second chapter. I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to be using a lot of Scripture. You're welcome to turn with me if you want to. Uh, if you are not able to turn with me and keep up, the Scriptures will be on the wall. I'm more interested in being able to hear what I'm teaching than necessarily being able to turn pages. Uh, I'm more than happy also to give you scriptures afterwards if you do like to take notes. I know some people do. I'm more than happy to give you those. But I don't want you to miss what the Lord wants to speak to us because you're trying to find something in the Word of the Lord that's not always easy to find. Some of you have Bibles like mine that have a thumb index. One of my pastors, Brother Gavin's, and my pastor used to call that a cheats Bible. But uh, I don't think the Lord's going to hold that against me. So please, if you're able to, to find the scriptures with us, that's fine. But I'm going to work with the Daniel Hard down the back there. And he's going to help me out. Grateful for young people that want to serve in the kingdom of God as well. Amen. Don't embarrass anybody, but young brother Daniel was talking to me the other night about conversations he's having with his friends at school about scripture and about the Lord. And that, that thrills my soul. Amen. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in, all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Or we would maybe to simplify that language, it looked like they had a, a flame resting above their heads. And verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, or as the Spirit enabled them to do so. You'll slide down that chapter to verse 37. Acts 2 and 37 says, Now when they heard this, this that they heard was that they'd crucified the Lord. It says they were pricked in their hearts, or they felt guilty, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent, or turn away from sins, change your life, regret the things you've done that are against the word of the Lord. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Remission, forgiveness, either word you prefer. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. This morning... Uh, I just feel the direction of the Lord because there are folks coming in and getting baptized and being filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to, I'm not going to get into great theological depth, but I want to try to begin to teach on the Holy Spirit, understanding what that is and what that means. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your presence that is here. We thank you. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, for those souls that have been recently filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, we know you're not done yet. Lord, that there are many others, Lord, that you want to pour out your Spirit upon. So, Lord, as we open your Word together, may it be your Word that speaks to us. May it not be the opinions and traditions of humanity, but may it be the Word of God that speaks to our hearts clearly, Lord. May you give us understanding. 
May you give us revelation, Lord Jesus, we pray. And we ask you for your anointing upon me as I teach this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's, to begin with, what is a spirit? What is a spirit? When you are around church for a period of time, that word gets thrown around a lot and you just kind of expect that everybody knows what we're talking about. But we understand that we are spiritual creatures. We're not simply flesh and bones, but there's a part of what makes us up that is not visible. Our personalities, our thinking, our intellect, our, many of our, our, our character is not, your personality is not measured by your physical stature or the color of your hair or the color of your eyes, but rather it's that part of us that we cannot see but is very, very real. Amen. We've all got a personality. I'm going to stop right there. We've, we've all got that part of us that is not visible, that makes up who we are. And so we understand that we are made up of that which is spiritual and that which is physical. And the Bible separates that into three different areas of, of flesh, spirit, and soul. And we're not going to get into it, Uh, this morning but the spirit and the soul are very closely related but we are more than simply flesh and blood but when we talk about a spiritual being we are talking about something that is only spiritual that does not have the physical visible attributes that you and I do John chapter 4 and verse 24 puts it very plainly it says God is a spirit And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. So what do we mean when we speak about the Holy Spirit? If you have a King James Bible, you'll probably notice that in the New Testament, the language that is used most commonly is Holy Ghost. But when you think of sometimes what people think about with the word ghost is a bit misleading. I don't have a problem with that language, but I'm just explaining that Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit same thing amen there's been a lot of opinions and a lot of doctrines about the holy spirit throughout history and uh if you're interested in that sort of thing you can look that up but unfortunately they're not all scripturally accurate and the most important thing that we can do when we seek understanding about god and about anything to do with god is to base it solely upon his word and not upon various traditions tradition by definition is is not a bad thing but tradition that contradicts the Word of God is a bad thing. Amen. We've all got tradition. It was traditional for us to be here on Sunday morning. You know, does it matter that we hold church on a Sunday morning? No, not particularly. We could have church on a Tuesday afternoon. Now, many of you couldn't come because you're at work, which is one of the reasons we have it on Sunday morning. But that's a tradition, but it's moderately harmless. Amen. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, when we use the word holy, Holy describes God's nature. It describes His, what we might call, moral attributes, or the fact that He is pure, that He is perfect, that He is sinless, that everything He does is true, it's right, it's just, it's fair. There's there's nothing in God that is wrong. There's nothing in God that is questionable. There's nothing in God that's a little bit shaky. Everything about Him is pure and holy. So when we use the word holy, we're describing the nature of God. When we use the word spirit, 
we're talking about God's substance or what he is made up of. Or if you want to use the same expression, his non-moral attributes. Amen. For example, if I was to say to you that Brother Steve is a good man, and I believe he is. Good describes his character. Man describes what he is. He is a good man. Now, he is a man that's not going to change regardless of what society says. But he can change whether or not he's good. We're hoping he doesn't. But we are describing his nature and what he is made of. And so when we say that God is a Holy Spirit, we're describing his character, his nature, and what he is, his form, if you like. That's why John said, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And so God is a Holy Spirit. Now, the next question is, how many spirits does God have? Now, some of you that know your Bibles might point to the book of Revelation where it talks about the seven spirits of God, but that number is used figuratively to describe perfection or completeness because it also talks about seven eyes and a whole bunch of other sevens. God is not some freaky-looking alien with all these eyes, and, but rather the word seven speaks about that he is complete, he is full. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 through to 13 teaching us about the supernatural gifts of the spirit it says but all these or all these gifts what happened this morning when there was a tongue and then that tongue was interpreted into a message that's gifts of the spirit that's what this passage is teaching about all these work that one and self-same spirit dividing or giving to every man severally as he will that means god gives these gifts of the spirit to whoever he feels is appropriate for him to give them to Verse 12 says, For as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles or Jews or non-Jews, whether we're bond or free, talking about the slavery that was going on in in that part of history, and we've all been made to drink into one Spirit. There's an emphasis there on one, one spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through to 6 says, There is one body, one spirit, even as you're all called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So, again, without going into great length there, I'm quite happy to with anybody that wants to discuss it further, but there is one spirit. That's what the Bible says. And that God is a Holy Spirit. Therefore, God is the Holy Spirit. There's only one Spirit. Amen. The Scriptures use the word God and Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost interchangeably. They switch them in and out when, they're, when it's written in the Word of God. But they're still speaking about the same thing. I'll give you an example of that. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. If you know this story... As, uh, the church is just beginning. There's a man by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira who uh, are de- deceptive in the offering that they bring to the Lord. And there are consequences for that. And you can read Acts chapter 5 later on. But verse 3 says, Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained... 
wasn't it your own? It was yours to do what you wanted to do with it. And after it was sold, it was still yours to do what you wanted to do with it. And then he said, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You haven't lied to men, but to God. Now, Ananias didn't lie to two different parts of God. But those expressions are being used interchangeably. God, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, God. Another example of them being used interchangeably. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 says, Know you not that you are the temple or the dwelling place of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. We understand we receive the Holy Ghost. We become a place where God puts His Spirit. A couple of chapters later in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, it says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? So how many temples are we? How many te- I mean, when it says we are the temples of God and the temples of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, are we a duplex? Are we is, is a block of flats? There's one spirit, one temple. So it uses the word God and Holy Spirit interchangeably. It's not talking about two different parts of God. Amen. How many spirits did you receive when you got the Holy Ghost? Please don't tell me more than one. Are we going to have to do another Bible study? We all were filled with one spirit. One spirit. Amen. It's the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God. Amen. So why is it there? Why doesn't the Bible just say God every time? Which is a fair question. To help you understand that when you're reading the scripture, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it's describing God in action. It's not saying, well, there's God here, Holy Spirit here, but when it uses the expression, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is talking about God in action. That's why you go way back to the book of Genesis, you'll see that. It talks about how the Spirit of God began to move on the face of the waters in creation. God in action. It wasn't that there was two spirits of God and one was resting while the other one worked, but God was there in the beginning. And when he decided it was time to begin creation, his spirit began to move into action. That's what, so when you read about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, you're reading about God in action. Amen. Further example to help us underline that a little bit more. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 through 20. Doing a great job, Daniel. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. King James is saying this is kind of how it happened. When as his mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. She was pregnant before they were married. In verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, he didn't want to shame her publicly. He was minded to put her away privily. What we would say is he was going to divorce her quietly. He was going to cancel their engagement because if you study at the culture at that level of engagement it was almost as binding as being married but he was he was a good man he didn't want to embarrass or or shame her so he was going to do it quietly but while he was thinking about these things verse 20 the angel of the lord appeared unto him in a dream saying joseph thou son of david fear not don't be afraid to marry mary for that which is conceived in her is of the holy ghost now jesus spoke about god as his father but 
the scripture here says that the pregnancy was brought about by the Holy Ghost. Now, did God, did Jesus have two fathers? Did the humanity of Jesus Christ have two fathers? No, of course not. It wasn't one or the other, but the Holy Ghost got in action. The Spirit of God moved upon that young woman, miraculously caused her pregnancy, and brought about the birth of the Messiah. Amen. And if to try to bring this together a little bit more, if we were to go back to where we started this morning in Acts chapter 2, we read about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read that it was something that was promised by God. It was God in action. It hadn't happened until He said, now it's time to pour out my Spirit. Amen. So He promised that it would, be, it would happen. Where was this promise? Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Joel 2, 28 to 29 it says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, this is God speaking, upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Peter directly quotes from Joel. He reaches back into the Old Testament and he explains to the crowd that had gathered around. He says this, you know, when they say, what in the world's going on? He reaches back and he says, what was so, but what was so important about this promise? Okay, so God had a promise in the Old Testament that there was coming a time when he would pour out his spirit. Cool. What's the big deal? Why does it matter? John chapter 3 tells us in verse 5 that except a man or woman, Except a man be born again of water and of spirit, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So if we want to go to heaven, putting this as simply as I can, but at the same time biblically accurate, we must repent of our sins. We must be born again of water, which is baptism in Jesus' name, and of the spirit, which is receiving the Holy Ghost, which many of you have done recently for the first time. Amen. So that's the promise. God said, there's coming a day when I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon you. John, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John said, if you don't receive that promise, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That makes the promise pretty important. Amen. Bless the Lord. But what was it in Acts chapter 2 that caught the attention of the crowd that were in Jerusalem that day? What was it that stood out to them as being very unusual? Now, somebody might say it was the, the flames that appeared above their heads, but I would argue that that only happened in the upper room and they didn't see that on the street because the crowd didn't say, check these guys out, they're on fire. What the crowd said was, we recognize that these 120 people are all from the area of Galilee. They could tell by the way they dressed, possibly some of their behaviors. You know, you recognize different people from different places. These, the crowd said, we know that they, you guys are all from this area, yet we hear you speak in the languages of the countries we've come from. Because they'd all traveled there for this special occasion. And they said, we hear, we're, we're from over here, and we're from over there, and we're from this country, and that country, and this city. And we hear these people speaking in our languages and declaring the wonderful works of God. 
that was the thing that caught their attention. And that's when they asked the question, what meaneth this, which is King James, and we'd say, what in the world is going on? What's happening? You know, it'd be like if I traveled to, let's, let's pick somebody from a country I've never been to. Let's, let's, let's say, let's, let's go back to Botswana. I've been to Botswana, but if I got off the plane in Botswana and suddenly I could speak fluent Setswana, they'd look at me and go, how in the world did that happen? Now, I could say, well, I've been practicing, but if it was the first time, they'd be like, this is incredible. And that was what was going on here, because you have to remember, we're talking 2,000 years ago. There's no Google Translate. There's, there's, the travel across the world was not something that was common except for merchants. So these people grew up in the same areas. Most of them lived in the same areas, got married in the same areas, and raised their families in the same areas. And yet here's 120 of them speaking globally about the wonderful works of God and not by coincidence in the languages of the people that were gathered all around. God knew exactly what he was doing. And that's when Peter pointed to the book of Joel and simply said, this is that. They knew the Old Testament. Those Jews knew the prophecies. And he said, when they said, what does this mean? He said, this means what that promised. This means what that promised because they were all filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. They weren't linguists. They hadn't studied. It was instantaneous and supernatural. Amen. So again, what is the Holy Spirit? It is God in action. God poured out His promise by filling them with His Spirit. He put a part of Himself in each of those 120 people in the upper room and has done it for millions of people since that time. Amen. So as the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, the observable evidence that was that they spoke in a language they'd never been taught and they'd never learned. That was what caught the attention of the crowd. That was the observable evidence of something supernatural that had taken place. Now, if that only ever happened there in Acts chapter 2, then we might be able to say, as some people do incorrectly, that it was just a, a boost to get the church off the ground. It was just something that happened when the church started so they could give a bit of a, you know, a bit of a thrust, a bit of a, a boost and take off. So if, if it only happened there, then okay, maybe we could accept that approach. But the thing is, it happened more than that. In Acts, first, how do we know that it happened more than that? Firstly, Acts chapter 2 verse 39 says, For this promise, this is that, same promise, is unto you, the people that were there, unto your children, the next generation, and to all that are a far off, Perth, Western Australia, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So scripturally, if he's still calling, he's still pouring. Because the promises go together. That as long as he's calling people, as long as he's reaching for people, it's because he wants to pour out his spirit on those people. Amen. So that's the first point. The second point is that it's clearly recorded as happening again in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through to 46, where Peter was in the middle of... He, he was 
speaking to these Romans, Cornelius and his whole household, telling them about Jesus, and he was halfway through his 15-point Bible study, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word, and the Jews were amazed because on these non-Jews, the Holy Ghost was poured out. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues. That's how they knew, right in the middle of Peter's Bible study. Let me say this. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost and you feel like God's wanting to give it to you, don't wait to then interrupt me at any point. We can deal with that. We can deal with that. Amen. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul came to Ephesus and found disciples, in verse 6 it says, He laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now I would suggest there's also, there was obviously something that also took place in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria when the Holy Ghost, when the elders came down and laid their hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost because Simon the sorcerer, that wicked man, saw something that impressed him enough that he was willing to pay for that power. Now it doesn't say they spoke with tongues, but when I look at the consistent testimony of the scripture, I'm pretty confident that they did there as well. And the other fact is, there's many of us here this morning that have also experienced that promise. Amen. Amen. You know, some people say, well, you Pentecostals, you you build up emotion, you stir people up. And there's nothing wrong with emotion. God gets emotional sometimes. Uh, You know, we worship. You know, if if you've been saved from sin, that's going to cause a little bit of emotion. And when you recognize I was going to hell and God snatched me out of the flames... It's very hard to appreciate that quiet and serious look. It ought to cause us to get a little bit emotional. Amen. And so sometimes we're accused of whipping people into a frenzy and then they just get all emotional and they they think they have the Holy Ghost. What happens to people that come into service for the first time receive the Holy Ghost? When Brother Herbert was filled in the baptistry the other night, there was the only emotion that was going on there was he was worshiping the Lord and the Lord filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Speaking in tongues or a language that you do not know naturally and have never learned naturally as the Spirit of God enables you. That's the key. It's got to be the Spirit of God doing it. Is the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern that the Word of God gives to us. Amen. And as Peter said, this promise is for you. And it's for your children. Amen. Thank God that our kids have the opportunity to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost as well. Amen. Bless the Lord. So, do we only speak in tongues once? No, we don't. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as being like living water that we thirst for. Amen. And so we are refreshed again and again as we allow the Spirit of God to refill us and refresh us again and again and again. So once you've received the Holy Spirit, so we know it's a promise from God. We know we need it to go to heaven, which makes it really important. Once we've received it, we've spoken in tongues as God's enabled us to, does it just kind of sit there? You've got it. It's just over here under my ribcage. Does the Holy Spirit just sit there? The answer is no. Why? 
because it is God in action. It's poured into us to be active in us, to change us, to transform us. It is a living thing that He has put into us that is not designed just to be kept in storage, but are designed to transform us and make us more like Him. Amen. That's why you hear testimonies of people who've been filled with the Holy Ghost, don't really know much of the Word of God, but then they find themselves saying things like, you know, I was going to go and do something that I used to do all the time. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Or nobody told them, don't do this, don't do that. They just begin to, there was something that said, you know, I used to always do fill in the blank, but I just don't want to do it. I don't feel like I should be involved anymore. They don't know what the Scripture says, but there's something living inside of them that is God in action. Amen. So, moving along. The actions that God wants to do in us. is there's a, This is not an exhaustive list, but this is some of them. The Spirit of God teaches us. How does the Spirit of God teach us? It helps us to understand the Word of God. It helps us with understanding what God is doing in our lives. And God can reveal Himself to us by His Spirit. It's very important we understand that the Spirit of God and the Word, I said this recently, the Spirit of God and the Word of God work together. You can't have one without the other. You hear people say, well, I have the Spirit of God. I just follow His leading. I don't need to know what the Word of God says. That's foolishness because you've got a supernatural power but nothing that it works with to confirm, to guide, to channel, to direct. We need the Word and the Spirit working together in our lives. Amen. See, what, what can often happen is when, the, when you're reading your Bibles at home. Now, for those of you that have just started coming along, I know what it's like for people when they first open the Scripture. They don't know where to start. They don't know what any of it means. Stick at it. It will come alive. With time, it will come alive. Amen. And when you hear the preaching and the teaching from the pulpit, the, when you, the Holy Ghost is alive, it reaches out and it sort of grabs the Scripture and says, I need that. I need to take that and, and make it a part of me. I need to change. My God is speaking to me about something in my life. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's why sometimes when, when either it's me or one of the other ministries that get up and they preach the Word, it's like somebody has told them what's going on in your life. I've even heard stories of people getting angry at preachers, saying, who told you that I had that problem? Who told you that I had this issue or that issue or this problem in my family? And the preacher's like, wasn't me. That's the Spirit of God working with the ministry of the Word of God, letting you know that He is alive and active in your life. And as long as we do everything we can to be sensitive to His Spirit, that will continue to happen the rest of your life. I'd like to tell you that after three years, five years, ten years, the Lord's finished and He just puts His feet up and kicks back. But we're all a work in progress. God in action. It's a good thing He's eternal because it's going to take Him that long to sort me out. Amen. And some of you need to say amen to that as well. The Holy Spirit imparts the love of God. Romans 5 and 5 says that hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 
Now this passage in Romans is talking about standing through tribulation and having confidence in God because we feel His love through the Holy Spirit, but it's also that the Spirit of God helps us to love. When you're first filled with the Holy Ghost, you just love everybody. You do. That's what happens. You know, you do. After a while, we, we lose that, which is a tragedy. It shouldn't happen. But it does, I have had a couple of people say to me just recently, three services a week is not enough for me. And I'm thinking, I get trouble getting some folks there more than once a week. But, but when you've got that first desire and you're in love with the Lord, you just want to love the Lord, you want to be in church, you want to be with everybody. Amen. The Holy Spirit also bears witness of our relationship with God. Romans 8, 14 through 16, talking about how the Spirit of God adopts us. We become His children. There is something in us when we have the Holy Ghost that we know that we're God's children. There's something about being filled with the Spirit that we know He loves us. We know He cares for us. We can feel something that says, this is right. This is how it's meant to be. Amen. Amen. Romans 8 and 11 says that if the Spirit, remember there's only one Spirit, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, that word means make alive, your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. I've taught this not too long ago, but I believe that's fulfilled both in the present, that He brings us life in the right now, but the ultimate fulfillment is that is tied in with the resurrection. We will be resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless the Lord. He that raised Christ up from the dead shall also quicken and make alive these mortal bodies. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. Ephesians 3 and 16 says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That's powerful, strengthened with might. That's not weak and flimsy, and that's powerful. The Spirit of God gives us strength to overcome, to resist temptation, to go through difficulties, to be a witness, and to serve God as a part of His body. Amen. Every one of these points is a Bible study all by itself, so I'm just giving us an overview this morning. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8 and 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses, our shortcomings, the things that we're not aware of, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. There are some times when you're in prayer and you're praying about a situation, you don't always know what God's will is in that situation. The Spirit of God moves on us, and as we begin to pray and getting into intercessions, another, a whole other lesson, but God leads us in prayer and guides us as we pray and things happen that are miraculous when we allow the Holy Ghost to guide us as we pray. The Holy Ghost seals us. Ephesians 1 and 13 says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Three times in the New Testament it talks about us being sealed with the Holy Ghost. Now, a seal, some of you know this, but if you go back into history, sometimes official communication would be sealed. If a king or a ruler was sending an important message to another king or a 
another official, they would take that document, possibly put it in an envelope. If not an envelope, it would be folded up. And a big blob of hot wax, usually red, if you believe what you see in the movies, which is, which is interesting. Usually red wax was put on that fold to hold it shut. And then that king or that ruler would take either a, a ring that had their symbol on it or some kind of a stamp and they would press that image into the wax. And that seal served three different purposes, which also parallel with what the Holy Ghost does for us. That seal indicated that it had the approval of the king. It also indicated the ownership of the king. And as long as that seal was unbroken, it was the protection of the king. Those are three things that the Spirit of God does for us. He, he owns us when we're born again. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. We are His children. We have His approval. And we have His protection. All of those things are things that the Spirit of God, God in action, does in us. Amen. Moving along. Only another 17 pages of notes. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And if you've been here a little while, you know I love this verse of Scripture. It says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess or which is excessive but be filled with the spirit i love this verse because it's deliberately comparing being intoxicated with alcohol and being affected by the spirit of god now one of those is a carnal sinful practice being intoxicated being drunk is not godly and it produces a change in our behavior that often leads to regrettable circumstances Amen. That's, that's, he says, don't be drunk like that. He said, that's the wrong option for being intoxicated. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. So then if we're not going to be drunk with alcohol, we need to be filled with the Spirit enough that it also affects our behavior. That we begin to behave differently because of something that is in us. And we begin to do things. You know, when somebody is intoxicated, they'll behave in a fashion that they wouldn't behave in if they weren't intoxicated. They, they lose their inhibitions. They say things they maybe wouldn't say, do things they maybe wouldn't do. Their judgment is changed. Now, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you will also have your behavior impaired or enhanced, really. Not impaired, enhanced. You'll do some things that you wouldn't have done before You'll say some things you might not have said before. Some of those inhibitions you might not worry about too much anymore. And you, you're the Lord, and see, that's the positive application. You know, you, you get people come to an apostolic Pentecostal church for the very first time in their lives. And many of you have heard me testify about my mother's first experience of how she said, if I get out of here alive, I am never coming back because these people are crazy. But now my mother's one of those crazy people. Things you said, ah, so I don't think I could ever lift my hands in church. This clapping and singing loud thing. There's no way in the world I'm going out the front to pray where all the other people. I'll never do that. Never. Be careful what you say. Get a little bit of Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden your behavior changes. And you start doing things that you wouldn't have done before. Amen. When you consider the day of Pentecost, 
when they were all filled in Acts chapter 2 for the first time, their behavior, they said, these men are drunk because they didn't understand what was going on. But the power of the Spirit of God affected them enough that it was visible. It wasn't just audible. It was visible. There's the challenge for the kingdom of God. Is our conduct affected visibly as well as audibly? Do people see something about us that is different? I'm not saying you should go into your workplace or your schoolyard staggering around like you're drunk speaking other tongues. Don't advise that. Probably not going to go well. But your witness, the way you live, the way you behave, the way you don't behave, the things you say, the things you don't say. Amen. We need to be filled. We said it before, regularly refilled. Amen. We want the Lord to continue to affect our conduct and our behavior. Amen. Please, I'm nearly, nearly done. Please understand, I'm not suggesting that if you don't pray for a day or if you miss a service, that you lose the Holy Spirit. God doesn't operate like that. And I'm grateful for that. Even when we stumble, even when we do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, God doesn't instantly remove His Spirit from us. Yes, there's something there that needs to be made right. But God is gracious and God is merciful. Having said that, I do know that if you don't pray, if you're not refreshed and refilled with the Holy Ghost on a regular basis, the governing authority in your life becomes less and less of God and more and more of this world, which is governed by the lust of our flesh. When sinful flesh is allowed to revive when we sober up spiritually we're no longer influenced by the power of the spirit of the lord anymore our lusts begin to be in charge and the things we used to do suddenly come back to us again james says it like this in james 1 14 to 16 every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed the more I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, the more I'm trusting in the Word of the Lord, the less I'm drawn away. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted, but it's the power of the Spirit of God to cut it off between temptation and being drawn away. Because without it, what happens in verse 15 is that when lust has conceived, or in other words, when you've given those desires life, what is born out of that is sin. And sin, when it's finished, doing what it wants to do, brings forth death and then james said do not err my beloved brethren he said don't get yourself get into that state everybody is tempted temptation is not sin some of you new believers understand this when you're tempted to do something wrong that's not a sin everybody is tempted to sin it's what we do with temptation we give into it then yes then we head into the territory of sinning when we follow through with those actions we sin but it's when that temptation comes, we need to be filled with the Spirit and, try, and walking with the Lord. What Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That means that if I'm consistently intoxicated with the power of God's Spirit, I can resist the temptations of my flesh and be victorious. 
I think this is my last scripture. Romans 8 and 13 and 14 says, For if you live after the flesh. In other words, if your life is governed by those sinful desires, you'll die. That's pretty straightforward. Doesn't present a lot of options. Just as you do that, you'll die. But, thank the Lord for that little word sometimes in the scripture. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body. In other words, that word, again, King James English means you kill those old habits. You say, not happening anymore. I'm not going to be that person anymore. Through the Spirit, because you cannot do it yourself. It's got to be with the Holy Ghost. If through the power of the Spirit of God you kill those old actions, you shall live. And then again it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Sister Stanker, if I could have you on the piano, please. So the purpose or the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is not simply part of being born again. That's where it begins. But it's also, my notes say it's also a very important part of living an overcoming life. That's not strong enough. It's a non-negotiable part of living an overcoming life. It's more than just important. You cannot do it without it. If you're going to be victorious in the Lord, you must walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Being filled with the baptism of the Spirit for the first time, speaking in other tongues, is the initial. It's the first evidence that you've received the Holy Ghost. In many ways, it's a parallel to when you go right back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 where it says the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. When Adam was created and God breathed in him, God was imparting himself into Adam. It was more than just lungs inflating and deflating and nostrils and his eyeballs working. There was something that came alive in him spiritually. How do we know that we're still full of the Spirit? Well, there is that need to be refreshed regularly with speaking in other tongues as God enables us to, but it's how we're changed. The Bible uses the word fruit. It says, by your fruit, you'll know them. So it says, we can't, we're like a tree. As long as we're connected to life, we're going to produce fruit. How do you know that I'm alive? Not a trick question. Were any of you there when I was born? Some of you aren't even old enough nearly 47 years ago that was the initial beginning of my life I don't know if they still do it but I think back then they used to you know, give the baby a little smack on the bottom make the baby inhale and start to cry and get those lungs moving it's the signs of life the, that you inhale and then the sound that comes out it's a little bit like what happens when you're filled with the Holy Ghost it's almost like you inhale and other tongues just flow out of you as the Spirit of God fills you. But how do you know I'm alive today, nearly 47 years later? Well, I'm still doing the breathing thing. That's still happening. You can't stop that. You need that to keep going. But I'm not an infant. I'm nearly 47 years old. I've grown physically. I've hopefully grown a little bit smarter along the way. Learned a few things. That's what happens spiritually. If you've just been filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time, you're like that little baby that's just inhaled. For the first time but the fact that you still have the spirit of god working in you again and again you're going to grow you're going to get stronger you'll have some trouble you'll have some growing pains you might fall over sometimes 
But as long as you're connected to the life source, the Spirit of God in action. Stand with me if you would this morning. I know this is more of a teaching and preaching this morning, but it wouldn't be right to teach about the Spirit of God without giving us the opportunity to ask the Lord to fill us with His Spirit. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God wants to fill you with His Spirit this morning. It's not hard. Sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be in our minds. We just need to repent of our sins, acknowledge that the way we've been living doesn't please God. Tell God we're sorry for living that way and make a decision and a commitment to turn away from that. Begin to worship God and thank Him for His promise. And God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. If it's been a long time since the Lord's flowed through you like that river of living water, you can have that opportunity to come and top up as well. If you feel like things have got a bit stale maybe and trees still in the ground but it's been a long time since there was anything growing on it God wants to refresh pour out again 